Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Trip Podcast. I talk an awful lot about women's health, especially as it relates to menopausal years. Today, I am focusing on men's health, specifically about testosterone. About 40 to 45% of men over the age of 45 have low testosterone or low T. Younger men can also experience low T, even when in their 20s. Low T levels are correlated with poor nutrition, age, sedentary lifestyle, poor sleep, alcohol or drug use, prescription drug use, exposure to toxins, stress, and genetics. There are also serious health risks associated with low T, such as an increase in cardiovascular disease, osteopenia or osteoarthritis, a decrease in lean body mass, our longevity organ, chronic brain fog, and of course, sexual dysfunction. Low T leads to depression, more stress, and a feeling of hopelessness and low confidence. One of the first questions I ask my male clients is, how's your libido? Because it tells me a lot of information about his health and lifestyle. It's a fantastic marker to look at for overall health in men. The good news is that there are many options and lifestyle changes available to optimize testosterone levels. And that's what we're here to talk about today with my guest. My guest is Dr. Tracy Gapin. He is a board certified um, he is board certified by the American Board of Urology and is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. He is a leading gains wave provider and founded the Gapen Institute for High Performance Medicine in 2017, focused on helping men optimize their health so they can fulfill their highest potential. He offers a personalized path to helping men maximize their physical, cognitive, and sexual health. Dr. Gapen is also the author of the best-selling book, Male 2.0, Cracking the Code to Limitless Health and Vitality. A little medical disclaimer before we dive in. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on this podcast. So we've got a great conversation coming up with Dr. Gapin and uh, sit back, open your minds and tune in. Hi, Dr. Gapin. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. So glad to have you here today. Oh, uh, hey, Jill. How are you? Glad to be here. So let's just dive in because there is a lot to cover in men's health. Yes. So you spent a lot of years in the conventional medical healthcare model, and then you moved over to a more functional medicine approach. Did something happen in your own personal life or was it um, lack of results that you were seeing in your, your patients that led you down that path? Yeah, great question. It was a combination of, of both of those. You know, I was a, a very busy urologist uh, in a, a high volume practice for 20 plus years. And about halfway through uh, my time there, I, I got to a point where I woke up one day and realized I was 30 pounds overweight, um, felt like shit and couldn't do it anymore. And uh, didn't like who I'd become. I um, realized that I need to make a change. And so I went to my concierge doctor friend for some help. And what I unfortunately learned is that we don't have health care. We have disease care. We have crisis care. And um, because I didn't have any actual, you know, formal diagnosis, ICD-10 code, any disease to treat, it, he was somewhat lost in what to do with me other than simply eat more vegetables, exercise more, and, and, and lose weight. And, and that was really all he had for me. And I knew I needed a lot more than that. But at that time, I didn't know much more than him. I, I, you know, as a men's health expert that I was, I realized that I didn't have the answers either. And so I uh, went on a journey on a quest, if you will, of, of studying and researching anything I can get my hands on. And I uh, learned about first it was epigenetics, the, the science of how our lifestyle and environment affects our, our body's performance and function. I learned about uh, precision medicine, how to use genetics to individualize uh, healthcare, learned about functional medicine, learned about hormone optimization and I realized as I went through formal 
uh, hormone optimization training that uh, as a men's health expert that I was as a urologist, we got zero training in urology residency on how to actually optimize hormones. And I realized that we were doing it all wrong. We had no idea what we were doing. And so um, I learned how to implement that. And I learned about peptide therapy, which is an amazing uh, tool we can talk about. Learned about um, a lot of anti-aging protocols, age management protocols, if you will, and, and how to use wearable technology and how to incorporate some of this biohacking stuff that's out there as long as there's science to support it. And Jill, what I found, the secret was combining those disciplines together and the sum is greater than the parts. Right. And so I integrate functional medicine as well as all these other disciplines. And I was able to transform my own health. And I realized that um, I was onto something here. And so I started introducing these concepts with my patients and they had the same great results. And as that grew and as I suddenly found my passion for medicine again, through all this, it, it got me down the path where I realized I could have a much bigger impact out of urology, out of traditional medicine. And so I'm now um, happy to call myself a recovering urologist. Now I've been uh, out for a year. I launched the Gavin Institute for High Performance Medicine a little over a year ago and uh, haven't looked back. So when you brought all this into your new practice, how were your patients who may have already been established in your other practice, how did they, how was their initial response to all of this new, these new protocols? Yeah, there was definitely a transition there. There were a lot of patients who I saw in my urology practice who no longer fit in the current model that I, I that I created because so many people are still stuck in this disease model world. Use my copay to pay for a doctor visit to get a prescription medication to stamp out this symptom as a band-aid until the next time. And it's this ugly, vicious cycle that just doesn't work. And so what I do now is focus on really, if I can put it down to one simple word, it's optimization. Yeah. And I'm not okay with treating your symptom or disease just to get to back to neutral baseline. Um, that's all traditional medicine does. And so to answer your question, a lot of patients are no longer with me because they're still stuck in that disease model world and they can't see the bigger picture. And so it's really introducing a new concept. And, and I've created this concept of high performance health which um, is a brand new concept to a lot of people. And, and it's, it's really all about how can we optimize every aspect of our health? Because I really believe that the success we achieve in life starts and ends with our health. And if you don't have that, you got nothing. Absolutely. And there is no magic pill out there for any of this. It is all about stacked protocols and lifestyles. That's right. That's right. And traditional medicine was really all about that magic pill. You know, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about men's health as we move along here. But the, the big thing that I would hear every day was, hey, doc, I just want the blue pill. Yeah. And it completely ignoring the cause of the process that caused him to, to want that. And so it, it's diving deeper that uh, I can have a much bigger impact. Yeah. So speaking of the little blue pill, why should men be practically practically obsessed with their testosterone levels? So great question. So when we talk about sexual function, you know, I, I think of it as, as four components that need to all come together. One is hormones. So testosterone is, is where you're going with this. So I definitely want to dive deep into testosterone. Um, but testosterone is one part of the much bigger picture. When we look at sexual function, you need good blood flow. So we can talk about the vascular system. You need good uh, nerve function and you need the psychology as well. You need intimacy, attraction. I see a lot of guys with porn addiction, dopamine issues that can affect it as well. But, um, but diving deep into testosterone, it is a vitally important hormone for men. And most men are, are, are fixed and obsessed with testosterone, so they know that. Um, I like to, to point out that that's one piece of a much bigger picture, but it definitely starts with testosterone. Um, I, I am seeing in my practice on a daily basis, almost every single man I see has low testosterone. And this is not just about sex. It's not just about libido, sex drive, performance in the bedroom. It's not about building muscle and, and, and being able to lift harder. This is about energy, about mental focus and concentration and cognitive function. It's about cardiovascular health. You know, we know that men with low testosterone have about a 30% increased risk of a major adverse cardiac event. So it's cardioprotective. We know that testosterone is important for bone health. We know that it's important for metabolic health in terms of glucose regulation. It actually lowers LDL triglycerides. We know that testosterone actually reduces 
risk of prostate cancer. Let me repeat that because it always makes people confused. Low testosterone is associated with an increased risk of prostate cancer, which is very counterintuitive to what we've always been taught. And so testosterone is really about a man's life, Jill. It's not just about sex. Absolutely. I talk about this often in um, women's health and how important testosterone is. And as we go through menopause, how that drops and nothing's bringing it back, you've got to replace it and you have to support yeah. it by a healthy lifestyle. And it's, a, it's not just about our libido either. It's, it's, it's about all the things that you just mentioned. So such an important hormone. Where Absolutely. does it even come from? How is it made in our body? So testosterone originally comes from cholesterol. You know, you look at the, the, the steroid uh, biosynthesis pathway, pathway, excuse me, cholesterol gets converted into pregnenolone, pregnenolone gets converted into DHEA, which is a very important hormone as well that, that's often deficient in men. And then DHEA gets converted to testosterone. And then testosterone get, can get converted to DHT or dihydrotestosterone, which is a much more potent androgen. Um, and it gets metabolized down into estrogen, estradiol. And so, um, you know, estrogen is a very key, uh, important hormone in men as well, just obviously as it is in women. But um, men tend to think that estrogen is evil and that we don't want testosterone ever get converted to estrogen. Well, that's how it's metabolized, number one. And number two, estrogen is actually cardioprotective. It actually has a protective effect on the cardiovascular system and reduces risk of major adverse events. And so, yes, it, it's all about the balance. You know, men come in and they're obese and they're insulin resistant and they're inflamed and they have estradiol levels up here and they have testosterone levels down here. So sure, that's a problem, but, but estrogen in and of itself is not the problem. It's the ratio of testosterone to estrogen that we care so much about. That's what's more important. So when you're testing for testosterone levels, and we'll get into what those levels should be, are you looking at estradiol as well? I do. Absolutely. The yeah, FLH, very the LH. yeah, very important. Because that's not standard on a lot of tests that I see come in. You know, a lot of my clients share their blood work with me because we'll do further testing on genetics and micronutrient deficiencies. And I can tell you that none of those panels on the sex hormones show any of that information except total T and free T. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to look at all those, you know, I, I call it a symphony where you have all of these hormones coming together to create the outcome. You know, you look at systems biology and like you said earlier, there's never one magic pill. There's never one single thing like testosterone alone is gonna, is gonna give a man everything he needs. It's the, the symphony that, that, that looks like testosterone with estradiol, with DHEA, which counteracts and, and manages cortisol. It's regulating insulin, it's vitamin D, which is a hormone, it's growth hormone, of course. It's on and on and on and on, all these hormones that we need to be sure that we're looking at. And it, it's a common mistake to just think about only testosterone. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. So what, let's talk about optimal levels of testosterone in men from, I want to start from men that are in their twenties on up only because I'm a mom of five and I have four yeah. of them are boys and they're all, you know, out of the house and doing their thing and all athletes. Yeah. And, you know, there have been times where some of their tea has been tested low and some has been, you know, normal. So I want to start with the 20 year old range mm -hmm. and how that, yeah. how the testosterone levels change as men get older. Yeah. So great question. So, um, and this is really an important point here. Um, so there are three published studies, massive longitudinal studies that look at testosterone levels in men. One was here in the U.S., the male Massachusetts aging study, and then there was one in Sweden and one in Finland. Three studies that looked over 20 plus years, what are we seeing in testosterone levels? And what we saw, which was really important, and this comes back to answering your question, I promise, um, it showed a 45% decrease in free testosterone over 20 years. 45% lower free T than what it was 20 years ago. So if you take a 40-year-old guy today, his free testosterone is literally almost half what it was 20 years ago. Wow. It's insane. So now with that um, preface, when you look at a lab slip now, this is really important. We use the phrase normal a lot. Doctors like yep. to say, oh, your testosterone is quote normal. But okay. this is really the critical point here. When you look at a, a lab slip, LabCorp, Quest, any other lab, it's not normal. That range is not the normal range. This is really important. It's the reference range. 
that range on the right, this ridiculous like 193 to 700 stupid range you see for testosterone is the reference range. So what does the reference range actually mean? The reference range actually means the average of the population. Right. So what LabCorp does, and this is why each lab, lab you get is a little different in that range. Mm -hmm. The reason they're different is LabCorp takes the average of all the millions of men's testosterone levels they've tested. What is the median? And then statistically, two standard deviations on either side. And that gives you your bell curve range, if you can imagine, of your reference range. But that reference range is just the average of the population. Really, really important. Yeah. Go back to my preface. This is the reason why I started with that preface. Understanding that our free T is half what it was 20 years ago, you can now understand that that bell curve has shifted to the left over the last 20 years. That mm -hmm. average has gotten lower and lower and lower every single year. So the reference range, what people call normal range, has gotten lower every year. That right. makes us make the mistake of thinking that a testosterone level of 200, well, that's in the range, so that means you're normal. Excuse my language, Jill, that's bullshit. Absolutely. It's not. So the key is, is what is ideal, what's optimal? And that's really the question you're asking. I just want to, for the listeners, make sure you understand that when you get a lab slip and it's in that range, you're not necessarily normal, ideal, optimal, healthy, where you need to be. You're just freaking average, <laughs> which we don't yeah. want to be average, obviously. So to answer your question, we really, and, and the scales are different depending on the labs and also whether the free, free testosterone, which is what we care about more than anything, whether it's calculated or measured. And so there's some slight variation in the scales, but we want a, a free testosterone of around 200 to 250, a free testosterone of 200 to 250. Now, depending on the scale, that may equate to 20 to 25. So you got to look at the scale you're using. Um, other labs where it's calculated, that number may be completely different than that scale. But we wanted to, a free testosterone of 200 to 250. Now, what total testosterone does it take to get there is a little different for every man because proteins like sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG, which we can measure in that lab panel you talked about earlier, can bind to that testosterone and make some of it unavailable. And so when people ask me, well, what should my total testosterone level be? The answer is whatever it takes to get your free testosterone to about 200 or so. Yeah. So I want to, um, I want you to just clarify the difference between total and free because some, a lot of people don't really understand what that is. Sure. Yeah. So think, uh, and I normally draw this on a piece of paper. I can't for, for this, this uh, podcast, but um, imagine you have free floating in your bloodstream, a bunch of testosterone molecules they are floating around and that's your total testosterone. All the te testosterone molecules are counted as the total testosterone. Now for testosterone to work, to do its job, how does it, how does it work? Well, what it does is it goes into the cell and then it goes into the nucleus, which is the headquarters of the cell. And it affects DNA transcription at the, at the nuclear level of the cell. For testosterone to have any effect, it has to get into the nucleus of the cell. Well, if testosterone free-floating in the bloodstream is bound to proteins like SHBG we talked about or albumin to a lesser extent or some of these other um, less common proteins, that's now a big fluffy molecule that can't get into the cell anymore. It's too big. Uh -huh. And so that testosterone molecule is basically ineffective. Recent studies have shown that perhaps maybe it has some slight effect, but for, forget that for now and, and consider those um, molecules ineffective. So the free testosterone can be thought of as the soldiers in your army who actually have guns, who can actually do something. Whereas all the testosterone molecules connected to proteins are relatively ineffective. So that's why the free is so much more important than the total. Right. Because it's the active form of testosterone. Is there something that's happening in certain people that's making it bind to proteins? So it's unavailable to get into the cell? Yeah. And, and this comes into genetics where there are some men who have particularly high levels of sex hormone binding globulin. Um, things like obesity, insulin resistance, some other things can affect that to some extent as well. But a lot of it's genetic. And a lot of it, you know, I, I can't tell you how many men I see every day who ask, well, how can I lower my SHBG to get higher free testosterone? And the answer is that there are some herbals like, like stinging nettle root um, has been one of the few that, that may have an effect. You can look at things like boron, maybe, although I, I don't know the, the, the science there is very strong. I think the real answer is that you just need higher testosterone levels to get to the free that you're, that, that you're needing. Yeah. 
So what are some common signs of a man that would have low T? And then I also want to, so wait, before we go on to that. So in terms of the levels of optimal levels of testosterone, like for men in their twenties, thirties, forties, and on up, we all do you, are you saying you always want that free to be around 200 to 250? So great question. So as a man ages, we know that in general, once a man hits 50 and to some extent 40, but especially 50, a man's testosterone level will tend to drop by about 1% every year. That's just a natural part of aging, unfortunately. And we do everything we can to minimize that. And so we know that men in their twenties should have very high testosterone levels. We're talking total of maybe 1500, 2000, even with freeze of 250. And, and, and that's typically should not be a problem. What I'm seeing here today is probably half of the 20 year olds I see have low testosterone as well. What we don't have is a scale that says a man who is 20 should have a T of 1500. A man who's 30 should have a T of 1400. And a man who's 40 should have a T of 13. We don't have a scale um, metric like that. Like I think is what you're asking. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What we, what we know is that younger men definitely have much higher levels, which is ideal and optimal. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you fix a a man in his twenties that has low testosterone? That's a little more complicated than older men because we got to deal with the fertility issues and the long-term effects, et cetera. But, um, but suffice it to say, there's no absolute number for younger men versus older men. Yeah. And when we get to some of the um, protocols, that you have in place to help men increase their free testosterone. We're going to go back and talk about that 20 year old who does have yeah. low T and how that looks for them. Yeah. But what are the common signs of a man with low T? Yeah, great question. I, I would say there are three common complaints that I hear every day that would be most attributable to low testosterone. One is low energy fatigue especially later in the day, the guy's at work and it's like three o'clock and he just wants to take a nap. Yeah. Uh, guys come in and tell me, yeah, I take a nap every day around three, three 30. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a massive problem. Guys don't need naps. <laughs> Men with low testosterone need naps. Um, so one is low energy and fatigue. The other one is um, issues with weight, especially yeah. belly fat. You know, guys will have these extra 10 pounds around the belly, around the waist, and they can't burn it no matter what they do. Um, this is where I, I like to say diet and exercise is not enough. You can do anything you can do dietary wise and exercise wise, but if your hormones are off, you're not going to burn that fat and lose that weight. So that, that's the other big one. Um, and then the third one would be sex. You know, guys will um, I'll very commonly see issues where they have um, low sex drive, low libido. They're just not interested. Their wife is suddenly chasing them when, when <laughs> their entire relationship, they were chasing their wife. And I've actually had wives, um, come in with them and, and they're actually concerned about infidelity because hey my guy doesn't not interested in me anymore what's going on kind of thing um, yeah. so it could be a real problem for relationships and so that's why I like to point out that this is not just about men it's about women as well because it affects the relationship in, in many ways yeah in my health coaching business when I'm working with middle-aged men um, more specifically one of the first questions I ask them is how is your libido because to me it is such a um, great lens to look through in terms of what yeah. their lifestyle might look like you know mm-hmm. in terms of nutrition stress management all of that yeah absolutely yeah so let's talk about some of those causes um, that affect a man's tea dropping in terms of lifestyle, nutrition, environmental toxins, and and so forth. I want to dive into these because, you know, we're going to talk about those, those really cool protocols to, to, um, to add into someone's routine. But before that, you got to get your lifestyle together. Yeah, absolutely. So great question. When you look at those three longitudinal studies, I mentioned they corrected for diet and some other lifestyle uh, factors as well. They corrected for obesity as well. And they still saw that dramatic decline in testosterone. And so I do believe there's a dietary component for sure. Um, I do believe that um, there's clearly lifestyle factors that come into play as well. Stress, poor sleep, lack of activity. We can go into all that stuff. Um, But the the environmental toxins, the endocrine disruptors, to me, without question, is one of the biggest factors that is really not um, getting addressed like it needs. So there are studies that show that these chemicals in our environment um, are clearly associated with um, disruption of our endocrine system. That shows up as low testosterone, autoimmune disease, obesity, insulin resistance, even increased risk of cancers and depression, and um, even in kids, ADHD, et cetera. And we're talking about things like plastic water bottles. Yep. 
plastic K cups, plastic food containers. Um, we're talking about personal care products like deodorant, um, sunscreen, um, uh, uh, laundry detergents, a big one, you know, the clothes you're wearing are laden with whatever chemicals they're washed in. And um, they're, these chemicals are lipophilic, meaning they get tend to get absorbed through the skin, through, through the fat layer of your skin. And so uh, personal care products, we can look at plastics all over. Um, I mean, IV tubing. IV tubing in a hospital is made from chemicals that we know crush our health. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's in the food that we eat, it's sprayed in our crops, it's the herbicides and pesticides that, are, that our crops are covered with. It is the um, lining of metal cans. There's actually a plastic lining of every metal can. Um, our, our animals are injected with synthetic hormones. Our water is laden with estradiol. You know, women birth control, estradiol has actually been uh, measured in very high levels in our drinking water because our municipal treatment plants can't filter it out. Mm. And so you know, little things you could do every day by avoiding all these plastics. You know, I always have a stainless water bottle with me anywhere I go. You'll never see me drink from a plastic bottle. Um, I'm very careful about eating uh, fresh organic fruits and vegetables because if you're not, then, then your food was sprayed with potentially harmful chemicals. Um, uh, organic grass-fed meats, um, wild-caught salmon, for example, wild-caught fish. These are little things, but they're big things. And they, so- They add up. They add up. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we look at the, the causes of low testosterone, one of the biggest ones is, is endocrine disruptors. And, and the way to address that is improve our detoxification systems, number one, but number two, really limit our exposures. And these are, these are examples of ways you can do that. So how hard was that for you personally, when you went on this new, um, we're opened up to a whole new lifestyle for yourself, how hard was that component? Because so many men, you know, they don't think in terms of these little details of looking at ingredients on their deodorant or mouthwash is a big one, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, the answer is it was not hard for a couple of reasons. Number one, I became obsessed with it because I, I saw the change it was making in my own health. It's, mm -hmm. I saw the change it was making other men's health, uh, men's health in general. And it made me more and more uh, passionate about pursuing this and learning more about it. Number one, number two, I got my wife involved. You know, now that my wife understands this stuff as well, she has uh, the the apps on her phone. So whenever she's at the store, she's scanning barcodes. You know, yep. Environmental Working Group has an app called Healthy Living. Uh, you can use Yucca as another one, Y-U-K-A. Um, Think you, is one of my favorites. All yeah. my guys have Think Dirty on there. Yeah, and Think Dirty is the third one. There you go. Yep. Yeah. And so getting my wife involved now, suddenly it's a family affair. It's not just me and right. um, I'm right. passionate about it. And, and the third big reason is, you know, when I work with men, one of the very first things we do is dive deep into what's your why. Yes. And guys like, I want to lose weight. Well, no, BS. Why? Well, because I, I, I want to be thinner. No, why? Well, because I, my pants don't go. No, no, no. Why? And when you dive down deeper, there's always an emotional underlying major reason why you want to make the change you're looking to make. Right. And for me, it's my kid, my, it's my family, my kids, my, my beautiful wife, my two amazing little kids. They're, they're six and eight. So they're, they're still little right now. It's how can I be the best husband and father that I can be? And so once I recognize my why and put it out there in the universe, all I can do is live with intention and focus on that why. And so now does that plastic water bottle align with my why? Clearly, no. And so it, that's how you, you, you make lifestyle shift is by focusing on the bigger picture, what you're trying to accomplish and does it align with your goals? Yes or no. Suddenly these micro decisions become incredibly easy. Yeah. I love that as a health coach, you know, we work on the why all, you know, in the beginning of the journey, you got to yeah. know your why, right? Yeah. And your lifestyle that you create for yourself in your home has to be something that you can travel with, whether it's to your office, to a convention out of state or on a vacation with your family. It has to be something that you're willing to commit to that you can take along with you for the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of my, um, a group coaching uh, calls that we did was on travel hacks. And I went yeah. through that. It's probably one of the most popular one with the executives I work with because they travel so much. And right. like you just said, you can't just stop all these things that we're doing while you travel or else 
you're not going to be successful. So completely agree. Yeah. It, right. It's- because there's certain things you cannot control. Like when you're in a hotel room, you are exposed to whatever um, detergents and cleaners they're using in that room. But there's right. other things you can control. That's right. And so it's making it part of your routine, your everyday routine, and just practicing that every single day. It then becomes your new normal baseline. And you don't Absolutely. even have to think about it. But in the beginning, yeah. it's really, it can be very challenging for a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, other lifestyle factors here, like nutrition. Let's start with nutrition. That's a big one. Well, we talked about eating clean, but in terms of focusing on certain macronutrients to help increase and support higher levels of testosterone, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, and I'm going to give you a little different spin than you probably normally hear since I know you talk a lot about nutrition in your podcast, but on the answer your question, um, testosterone, you know, zinc, magnesium, B vitamins are definitely the key micronutrients that we want to focus on optimizing when it comes to, to um, healthy testosterone levels, uh, especially if you're trying to do it naturally. So those are the, the really the big ones. Um, I, I like to, to look at nutrition in terms of not only what are you eating, but how you're eating and when you're eating. Hmm. And so what you're eating, you talk about all the time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna skip over that just to focus on the different stuff. So you hear a slightly different right. spin on this stuff. Number one is how are you eating? And what I mean by this is with all my clients, we use continuous glucose monitoring, CGM. Oh. CGM is a tool that that has previously only been used for diabetics to understand how right. uh, your blood sugar is responding to your activities. And so when um, when I work with high performing individuals, I can now understand how your sleep impacts your blood sugar, how your stress impacts your blood sugar, which is really impactful, but also your meals. And so what I find with people when you track your your blood sugars with CGM is how you eat is critically important. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're eating a meal with carbs, proteins, and fats, let's just say. Let's say you have grilled chicken, quinoa, great healthy carb, and Brussels sprouts, let's just say. The order that you eat those in can dramatically affect your blood sugar. So what I mean by that is if you eat the quinoa first, your blood sugar will spike. Massive spike because it's pure carbs. Healthy complex carbs, but it's still a carb. Blood sugar spikes, and then it comes back down. If you were to eat the Brussels sprouts, high fiber, high good quality nutrients, low carb, and then the chicken, high protein, and then the complex carb, or this, if you're gonna have a baked potato, whatever carb you meant, rice, whatever it may be, at the end of that meal, you'll see a dramatic difference in your blood sugar curve after that meal. Mm. And so how you eat is very, very important in that you wanna be eating the fiber, then the protein, and then the carbs with every meal. I would also emphasize that snacking is a big problem with guys, and so, you know, yes, we want to follow our macronutrient ratios for the day. We want to make sure we're getting good micronutrients, but the timing also matters. So when, when is really important as well. We know that intermittent fasting has tremendous benefits for us, uh, not just with weight loss. There was that, honestly, that shitty New England Journal study that came out like six months ago that, that, that tried to say that it's not helpful. Dramatic benefits for fasting, very clearly, very clearly um, demonstrating. Excuse me, I'm going to battery special down and plug in. Um, so we know that, that fasting has a tremendous benefit. You look at animal studies and one of the single things that has been shown to very clearly extend lifespan unequivocally is fasting in animal studies. Fasting has been one of the few things that unequivocally show extends lifespan. And so in humans, there's still studies ongoing in humans, obviously, but we know that it has tremendous benefits in all the physiologic processes that we know cause aging as well. And so intermittent fasting for is something that I recommend for most guys. Um, that means eating within a 16-hour window, um, eating within a, uh, a certain period of time during the day, you're fasting the rest of the time. Another spin on that that you may not have um, discussed previously is it's better for that window to be earlier in the day rather than later in the day. Yeah, so it, let's say you're eating in a, and I think I said eating in a 16-hour window. I meant fasting in a 16-hour right. window, eating in, eating in a 68-hour window, excuse me. Yeah, so preferably down to six-hour window of eating, preferably fasting for 18 hours. Um, the, the smaller you can get that window, the better. And it's better if you were to eat, let's say you ate from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., six hours, much better 
then fasting, then eating, excuse me, from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then going to bed a couple hours later. The longer the time interval between when your last meal was and when you go to bed has been shown that to, to be beneficial. And so that's why I like to not, not talk about just what you eat, but how you eat and when you eat. Absolutely. Uh, meal timing is huge. And when I, when I think of like people snacking to me, that's a red flag that maybe they're not hitting their macros in those three, two or three meals a day, yeah. you know, making sure you get enough protein and fat to reach right. satiety so that you right. don't snack because we don't want to be snacking all day. Cause that keeps our insulin levels pretty high. Exactly. Yeah. And, and a couple more thoughts on that it, um, is that when people snack, they tend to make bad decisions. They tend to eat foods that are typically not healthy for you. So um, if you're going to snack, if you have to snack, focus on something healthy like almonds, for example, almonds are a great source of good, healthy fats, um, some protein in there. And um, at least that's not going to spike your blood sugar. Be careful. You know, the, the, when we look at foods, what to eat again, two things to avoid for anyone, for, regardless of your genetics, the sugar and seed oils. Absolutely. Um, I have pictures of um, a bag of almonds. My wife and I were at Target a year ago and one bag has almonds and you look at the ingredients on the back and it ingredients, almonds, perfect. The next bag, dry roasted almonds, you look at the ingredients, almonds, corn oils, cottonseed oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil. And this, these toxic omega-6 pro-inflammatory seed oils are killing us. And so be careful with those snacks. If you're going to have something like almonds or whatever, look at the ingredients in, your, in, in those products. Right. Those rancid seed oils and that sugar is what causes obesity. And how does obesity affect testosterone levels? Oh, my gosh. So fat has an enzyme called aromatase. Aromatase will take all your testosterone and switch it into estrogen. Donezo. Um, fat will also increase cortisol. It increases stress. It promotes insulin resistance, which also crushes testosterone as well. And so really, really important that one of the, the, the big, biggest things that men can do to help naturally improve testosterone is to lose weight, burn that visceral fat specifically. Right. Because what, isn't there a relationship between cortisol and testosterone, like the whole HPA access? Can you just run us through that? Because people will come to me and say, oh, I was diagnosed with the HPA access syndrome, but they don't even know what it is. Right. So I would like you to break that down for us. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have the pituitary, the gland in our brain that ultimately is responsible for testosterone, estrogen, and our hormone production. The brain will, the pituitary specifically, will send out a signal called luteinizing hormone or LH, which tells the testicles to make testosterone. Now, the adrenal glands make 1% of our testosterone, but forget the adrenals for now and consider the testicles making uh, the testosterone. Now, that testosterone will then feed back on the brain and tell the brain, hey, we got enough testosterone, we're fine, and luteinizing hormone will decrease. And that, that happens ultimately from the hypothalamus above, but to keep it simple, uh, the brain sending a signal to turn on testosterone, testosterone feeds back and says, hey, we're fine, turn it off, okay? So that's how your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis works. Mm -hmm. For cortisol, cortisol comes from the adrenal glands and you have corticotropin releasing hormone, which also comes from the brain, from the pituitary, and it will go to the adrenal and say, hey, we need cortisol. Why? Well you're stressed psychologically, there's a traumatic event, you've been in a car accident, uh, you're scared, you're running for your life from a tiger back in the, you know, in the caveman era, um, you got crummy sleep, you overtrained, you are stressed out at work, over uh, pushing yourself too hard without rest, you are eating bad foods, the toxins we talked about earlier, any of these are stressors in our, in our environment that are causing the pituitary to send out cortisol releasing hormone, which stimulates ACTH to stimulate the, the adrenal gland to make cortisol. Okay. Comes from the uh, adrenal cortex. Cortisol then comes back to the brain, just like testosterone does. Cortisol comes back to the brain and says, Hey, we're good. We got everything we need, but it's shutting off the testosterone pathway. And so now this cortisol, which, which, which in short term 
may be good for you. It may be good to help with a stressful situation. You know, it, right. it, in a way, in, in, in the short term, it's anabolic. So cortisol is not all bad for you. It's when it's long term, when it's chronically elevated, um, that chronic overstimulation is what shuts off testosterone production. And so short answer is cortisol crushes testosterone. And so what are some things that you tell your patients to implement in terms of managing that chronic stress that everybody's experiencing? Yeah, so it is looking at every one of those uh, stressors. So number one is psychological stress. And uh, it's funny, most of the high-performing executives and entrepreneurs I work with, or I have, I have a race car driver and baseball players, and they're all like, no, no, I'm not stressed, doc, I'm fine. And, and I, I say nonsense, come on, like, like I know you're stressed. You think you're not, but you are. Most people just right. don't realize it. So um, it, uh, controlling the psychological stress, we look at things like um, mindfulness practices. Meditation is so incredibly important. Yeah. breathing, breathing exercises, and, and everyone will immediately say, now nah, I, I know how to breathe. But you, you actually don't because what you want to do is be always breathe through your nose, always breathe through your nose, never breathe through your mouth. And it dramatically affects tissue oxygenation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I'll keep that story short to say, always breathe through your nose. So that's going to help um, reduce the stress response. Um, and then it's going to be things like making sure you're getting enough good quality sleep. So yeah. what, what are your, what's your sleep hygiene like? What are you doing at night? Nothing raises cortisol more than crummy sleep. And so focusing on the quality of sleep, focusing on the foods that you're eating, focusing on clearing toxins on your gut. You know, we haven't talked yet about the microbiome, but, but uh, the bacteria in our gut controls our body. It controls our health. It controls our metabolism, our energy, our brain, almost anything um, is affected by the bacteria in our gut. And so looking at um, ways of improving our microbiome and uh, making sure that um, our, our gut is intact, you know, secretory IgA and inflammation and that sort of thing. And that again, goes back to, you know, eating the right foods as well. So look at psychological stress. We look at food, we look at sleep, we look at making sure, you know, lifestyle wise, you're not overtraining, making sure you have the right micronutrients, all those things together, again, from a systems biology approach, that's what it takes. Yeah. And speaking of the gut microbiome, I want to talk about how certain pharmaceuticals, certain medications that people are taking affect not only their gut microbiome, but their testosterone levels. Yeah. Great question. So, you know, things like statins um, are are the biggest culprit um, we could look at. Things like PPI, proton pump inhibitors can definitely affect the microbiome as well. Um, Super common problem. Um, I see, um, I see so many men that come in on a, um, uh, on so many um, prescription medications, it's almost like a trail mix of medications that they're taking um, to have to go through one by one, whether they're, it, the drugs are affecting sexual function or testosterone or microbiome or, or potentially even all of those. Very, very common. Yeah. And then what about drugs and alcohol use? So alcohol use is um, definitely going to raise cortisol. It's a stressor, again, uh, the, the ones that we mentioned. And so what alcohol will do is um, really disrupt sleep. So a lot of guys will say, well, I, I drink alcohol to fall asleep at night. Well, what it's doing is, is sedating you so that you can fall asleep, but you're getting really crummy quality sleep. And we could talk about stages of sleep, but, but specifically, we just want to focus on getting good quality, deep sleep. And when you drink alcohol, when you take uh, Ambien, Xanax, Lunesta, any of those uh, drugs, prescription medications, it's sedating you, but it's not helping you get good quality sleep. Right. And so wearing an, some type of um, measuring device on your sleep to be held accountable, right? You yes. got to, some people, I, I am a results person. I have to see what's happening. So I wear a whoop app. All my kids wear this. And I think my daughter wears the aura ring, but whatever yeah. it is looking at that data and thinking about what did you do the day before? Did you overtrain? Did you drink alcohol? Did you smoke a lot of weed? I mean, you know, now that weed is easily accessible, so many people are doing it more and more, right? It's easy. And that is having an effect on people's um, how overall health, especially testosterone. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about wearable tech, all my clients have to wear something. And I don't care if it's a, if it's, I I wear a watch, um, I love the ring as well. There are straps, there are bands. I, I try to be relatively agnostic and not push any particular brand. They all, there are pros and cons to each of them. So uh, I, I can share those details, but um, 
as long as you're using something to track, again, the quality of your sleep, not just how long you slept, but how long was your REM sleep? How long was your deep sleep and, and sleep latency? How long did it take you to fall asleep? Stuff like that is really important. The other piece of wearable de uh, tech device, um, or other tool that I use all the time is a heart variability tracker. Now, heart variability uh, or HRV is a marker of physiologic stress. We talked earlier how important stress is and how much stress is crushing our health, especially testosterone. So we want to look at how our bodies are stressed on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, the Garmin and the Aura and the, the Whoop, they have HRV track, even the Apple one, which I actually, yeah. I love Apple, but I would never recommend the Apple watch when we're, if, if we're looking at health. Um, but they don't track HRV well at all. No, no wearable um uh, device will track heart variability as well as a chest strap. Mm. And so what I do every morning and what I recommend for my clients is when you wake up first thing in the morning and I do this very first thing I'm doing while my coffee is brewing, I'll sit on the couch and I'll put my strap on and it should be sitting down the same time every day, preferably in the morning when you first wake up. And what you can do with that, and I use the, um, the Elite HRV strap myself is the one that I use and that hooks to an app on your phone. And you can look at your HRV from one day to the next, and it'll give you um, a, a comparison so you can understand, just like you talked about your sleep, you know, what did I do from one day to the next that affected it? What's causing that HRV change? Yeah. Um, it may be an indicator that you're overstressed. It may be that you're about to be sick. It may be that you need to take it easy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's a, a great tool to really um, get a window into your physiology. Yeah, I agree. I have all of my clients, if they don't already own one, they need to go buy something so that they can yeah. start tracking this That's information. Right. All awesome. right, let's move on to some really cool stuff out there in terms of raising your free testosterone, starting with um, pellets. That seems to be one of the most common and accessible to people out there. And I also want to go back to talking about those guys in their 20s who have low T and why that wouldn't be a good solution for them. Yeah. So let me organize it into natural things that we can do okay. and not so natural things that we can do to raise testosterone. I think to kind of uh, categorize it a little bit might be helpful for the listener. Um, natural things that we can do to improve testosterone, free testosterone specifically would be number one, sleep. If there's one single thing you could do is just freaking go to sleep, create uh, a healthy sleep hygiene habit at night, go to bed the exact same time every night and get at least seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, which will equal good quality sleep when you look at REM and deep sleep, hopefully. Right. Sleep, um, stress, obviously we talked about already. Um, strength training. So we're talking heavy strength training, especially the big muscles like the quad, the hamstring, the back, the core, heavy, heavy strength training. Not to the point that you're overtraining that you're, you're going too far, but definitely, you know, two, three days a week, really uh, working on, on aggressive strength training. Um, healthy micronutrients, macronutrients is really key as well. Um, so those are the, and by the way, aerobic exercise, uh, consistent, heavy aerobic exercise can actually be harmful for testosterone. So you want to be careful. You're not doing too much of that. All right. Um, so those are the natural ways. Um, what I find is a guy comes in and his free testosterone is 45. Let's just say, again, it should be 200, 250. It's 45. And he says, well, can I do the natural stuff? So I, so that I don't have to get on testosterone pellets, et cetera. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, I, I, I give him that some good uh, supplementation, zinc, magnesium, B vitamins, and other, other micronutrients and make sure lifestyle wise, he's intact. That 45 will get up to 70, 75, 80. Yes. It, it very rarely will get up to the 200, like the range yeah. where you really need it to be. So yes, I want to, for the listener, I want to clarify, yes, natural approaches do work but typically not enough to get to, the, to, to that level where you're not going to need something um, unnatural. Okay. So that's the natural stuff. Now the, the not natural, there are um, really three ways in general of giving testosterone. One is a topical, one is an injection. And the third one are pellets, like you mentioned um, the topical, we found that the absorption from the scrotum application of a cream testosterone cream on the scrotum has massively uh, improved absorption versus other parts of the body. So mm -hmm. if a guy wants to do topical, we will often do topical testosterone on the scrotum. Um, you got to do that every single day though, because the half-life is so short, it burns up so quickly. Right. You got to do it every single morning. You wake up, you shower, you put it on. You can't touch your kids or anyone else with uh, that testosterone in your hands because it can spread. Yeah. Um, 
Unfortunately, 10% or so of men will not absorb that testosterone enough. So that the topical may not be an option for every man. Okay. So that, but that's, that's one option to look at. The second would be injections and injections um, can be either intramuscular, which is how they've always been given um, mm -hmm. until recently. We realized that you can give sub Q and get the same levels. And so now most of, um, if you looked at my, um, my patient list of the men who are on testosterone therapy, I'd probably say 90% of them are on testosterone injections sub Q. Hmm. Okay. And you can do that in the belly. So I, what I like about that is that you can uh, use a sub Q needle and uh, it's relatively painless. And um, you can do it when you do injections, you could do uh, twice a week is ideal three times a week would be optimal would be great once a week would be less ideal but preferably twice a week tends to be around the sweet spot that i can get guys to commit to, to to being compliant and doing it regularly and that's the best way especially if a guy's just starting to be able to instantly get levels up to where they need to be so i can get a guy that has a free t of 45 and i can get him up to a free t of 200 within two weeks so it's that easy to with injections yeah um and that's where most men tend to start the third option, as you, you brought up, are pellets. And pellets are little tiny, they look like rabbit food, um, little tiny little um, 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 tubular-shaped pellets that get implanted into the butt or into the back using a little trocar device. We numb up the skin, clean the air, anesthetize the area with lidocaine, um, and make a small little puncture and, and introduce these pellets. What's attractive about the pellets is that they'll last for about four months at a time. Right. Yeah. So guys can get testosterone level boosted for four months. So um, guys in the military who are going to be going overseas, guys who travel a lot, can't come in often or don't want to do injections. Um, uh, those would be guys who are potential candidates for pellets. The problem with pellets to be aware of is that it is often very uh, variable what the absorption of those pellets is going to be. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll find that guys will get um, let's say 15 pellets on a, a one setting. We'll check a level a month later and the free tea is 220. Great. We'll do the same 15 pellets four months later. We check a free tea and it's 110. I'm like, what the hell happened here? And so there's a lot of variability and absorption of those pellets. Perhaps it's production of the pellets. I don't know. I, I, I always use high quality compounding pharmacies, but you never know. Um, right. But, but in reality, you're, you're then stuck in that situation where now I can't really do much else with you until those pellets wear out. And so, um, so that's the challenge with pellets. The dosing is often difficult where you have to keep tweaking it each time. It's just not as easy as um, what I would prefer to do as injections. Yeah, so these applications are basically the same as for women. I started on testosterone pellets many years ago. Yeah. And uh, one of the... Um, injections, I mean, one of the pellet applications shot my testosterone up to over 900. Whoa. It was awful, awful. Crazy. So I had to wait almost 18 months for that to come down before I could yeah. switch over to topical cream, which is what I do now. But oh my yeah, I agree. Pellets are harder to manage. I like the idea of the um, shots and the topical cream. Yeah. But what about going back to those 20 year olds? Yes. So why can't they um, have that? Yeah, sure. So, and by the way, real quick, Gap Institute here, we do a lot of women's work as well. So my passion and focus is men's oh, health. Great. I, have a nurse, I have a nurse practitioner who does a ton of pellets and she loves them for women. So I'm on, I'm on base with you that, um, that yes, for women, pellets are a great option. Um, but there's some variability still in men. I find a lot more issues with dosing, to be honest with you. Um, hmm. but to answer your question, um, what was your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> The, the 20 year olds, why they can't do <laughs> so focus on the women. Um, so yeah, so the, the key thing with, with 20 year olds is the fact that these men are still in their childbearing years. And when we look at fertility, we have to understand that the, that pituitary, again, I mentioned that LH was going to the testicles to tell it to make testosterone. Well, the brain also makes another hormone called FSH, follicular stimulating hormone, and it affects women as well. But FSH is what goes to the testicle and tells it to make sperm, specifically sperm. And so when we give testosterone, I mentioned earlier, it goes to the brain and tells the brain, the pituitary, hey, we're fine. We don't need any more. You can turn it off. We got enough. We're, we're good here. Well, what that does is it also shuts off FSH. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you give a young man, especially a 20 year old guy testosterone, you're going to shut off sperm production by that negative feedback. And that's the real problem with it. And so for a young man, especially one who has any consideration for fertility, which includes most 20 year olds. I mean, I, I can tell you when I was 20, I'd be like, yeah, I don't want kids, but then 10 right. years later, Hey, I want kids. And so you, you, you can't do that to that guy. Um, you, you can't potentially affect his long-term fertility. And so there are other ways, uh, assuming the natural approaches haven't done the job, which is, is very, unfortunately very common. We can look at things like HCG. Mm. HCG is an injectable uh, that is uh, homologous or very similar to LH, luteinizing hormone. It will mimic luteinizing hormone. And so we can give HCG and it will stimulate the testicles to produce more testosterone, but that's not going to have the effect of shutting off FSH like it, it would other, if you're giving testosterone directly. And so HCG is one option that you can do. The other option is Clomid. Yeah. So yeah. So Clomid is, uh, you probably talked about this before. It's also used for women for infertility. Um, and it's an estrogen receptor blocker at the brain level where it's going to block that negative feedback that I was, that I was mentioning earlier. It's going to block the inhibition of FSH production um, by testosterone or specifically estrogen is what really doing is doing that. So what I'll often do in young men, and I've had this a number of times where uh, HCG combined with Clomid, combined with the micronutrient support that the guys need, will often be very effective at getting testosterone levels where they need to be, as well as preserving and supporting fertility. Um, I've had a couple of men, got maybe at least 10 men now, who have come to me for infertility specifically, and I find that they have low sperm production and they also have low testosterone production. Mm. And a lot of it's the pituitary is just not putting out enough LH and FSH. Um, I've had a lot of those guys respond to HCG with Clomid and many of them actually got pregnant from just that alone. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so what about um, Gainswave? I know you're a Gainswave provider. Um, yeah. Tell us, so that's the brand name, the company, but tell us about acoustic wave therapy and how that works. Sure. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's specifically um, shockwave therapy. So um, we've used that technology when I was back in my um, prior life as a urologist, we used that technology for 20, 30 years for treating kidney stones. So we know it's safe. It's effective at delivering sound wave energy into the body to uh, create a cavitary effect to, uh, to do whatever you're trying to accomplish. So for our case, we're using it for kidney stone treatments. It's also used for musculoskeletal injury repair and stuff like that. But what they found um, at the research level was that low-intensity shockwave therapy promotes a process called angiogenesis, which is, for the listeners, that's just basically creating new blood vessels, creating okay. a new highway for blood, blood to flow. And so they found that by, um, by introducing shockwave therapy to a vascular system, it will create uh, uh, it will stimulate angiogenesis and create new blood flow. And it's believed to be by uh, the activation of stem cells. Stem cells are the progenitor cells that, that secrete growth factors, vascular derived growth factor, other growth factors that will stimulate that, that construction of the new highways, the new blood vessels. And so they found that low intensity shockwave therapy was actually effective at improving erectile function mm. and treating erectile dysfunction and improving sexual performance. And so Gainswave is the brand that took low intensity shockwave therapy and really brought it to the masses, introduced it to clinicians. Here's how you can use this technology to treat ED, to improve sexual performance. And so uh, that's how Gainswave comes into play. The technology is low intensity shockwave therapy. Gainswave is the brand that introduces that um, and works with clinicians to help us improve uh, patient education and support on, on, on proper uh, um uh, technique for the therapy as well. So it sounds really painful. And I know there's men listening to this right now and they're going to think, oh my gosh, what does that even entail? So just don't get too is, graphic, but, but take us down that path a little it bit. It is not painful. Yeah, it's not painful. Um, it, guys do feel it a little bit. We actually give them numbing cream to, to put on the penis about 15, 20 minutes before the treatment. So they really don't feel it at all. Um, but uh, it is done in, in the um, procedure room, guy lays on the table. Um, my technician will uh, take the ultrasound uh, probe, looks like an ultrasound probe, it's the therapy probe, and um, it's attached to the machine and you'll hear a loud tick, 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 as it's delivering the shock waves. And, and again, the guy can feel it, but it's really not painful. 
and it's done to the penis directly, and it will stimulate, again, uh, stimulate uh, increased vascular um, uh, blood flow, vascular formation. Um, and it's typically done twice a week, like we'll do it here in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays, and a guy will do it for three weeks, so six treatments, and then take a break for a month or so, and then do another six treatments. And throughout, mm -hmm. he is continuing to stimulate sexual function by using a vacuum device, a, a penis pump, a way of, of promoting, um, you know, I call it physical, like I call it physical therapy for the penis patients, penile rehabilitation, mm -hmm. where you're stimulating it. Um, and I say, use it or lose it. I say that, you know, you, you don't want to atrophy you. It's smooth muscle that you want to continually activate. Right. And, and, and so I, I encourage regular sexual activity. I encourage regular stimulation if you're not going to have sex with your partner. And that, that continual stimulation is, is what's going to ultimately give the best outcomes. So you mentioned stem cells and I know stem cells, exosomes, ozone therapy injections, all of this stuff. Do you, do you use all of this in your practice as well? We do. We do exosome therapy. Um, I want to be really clear for the listener that it's off label. So exosome therapy is used for regenerative purposes, is used uh -huh. for ED, it's used for, uh, you know, anti-aging protocols, which some people scoff at, but there, there's some real science there. Yeah. Um, so it is used, but again, it's definitely off label. Yep. And what about ozone therapy? Uh, we have not done any ozone therapy here. I do find it very interesting and I have a couple of colleagues yeah. who are into it, um, but we just haven't done any here yet. Yeah. Yeah. It is really neat. Yeah. Um, and then what about, there's a peptide that I actually tried once called PT-141. Um, and so peptides are really really interesting to me. They are the wave of the future, if you ask me, in terms of regenerative medicine. But tell us about PT-141 and why that is important in terms of um, sexual function. Yeah. So first of all, peptides are, um, are a really hot topic right now. Peptide therapy is really a, an amazing precision-based um, strategy to achieve um, really specific outcomes. So um, first of all, what is a peptide? It's simply a short protein. It's simply a chain of amino acids for the listeners. It's not a drug. It's not a pharmaceutical. It is a, a specific sequence of amino acids. It's not like collagen, which is just a, a bunch of amino acids. It is a specific sequence that has a very specific purpose. So for example, um, BPC-157 is a 15 amino acid sequence that comes from the stomach. Insulin is a peptide. Growth hormone is a peptide. Um, Apitalon is one that um, extends lifespan in animal studies. It's just two amino acids in length. Um, thymus and alpha is a great peptide that comes from the thymus gland, which is um, where our immune system kind of originates from as a child, as a baby, and it shrinks and involutes and goes away as we get older. And so introducing those, um, uh, those peptides can help rejuvenate your immune function and uh, stimulate T-cell um, activity. Um, and then we can look at fun ones like uh, PT-141 you mentioned, mm -hmm. which is a great peptide. It comes from the uh, melanocortin uh, stimulating hormone or MSH um, uh, family. Um, so um, the reason I bring that up is when you use PT-141, it will cause tanning. It can cause yeah. incredible tanning in some cases if you're not careful. Yeah, um, yeah the PT-141 is great for um, improving arousal, libido, works for both men and women, as you've experienced. And um, it's really, um, it's a fun peptide. It is, to be really clear, it's not going to treat ED. If a guy no. can't get an erection, it's not going to fix that. It's going to just right. enhance sexual arousal and performance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's a fun one to add on to the protocol. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the icing on the, on the cake. Yeah. So you wrote a book titled Mail 2.0. Why does every man need to have this book in their arsenal? Yeah. So this goes back to my years in urology that I recognized that men were stuck in, in what I call male 1.0. And that is, and I was the same way. I was guilty that as a, as a physician, as a men's health expert that I was in urology, I, I was guilty of the same thing. And that is we're reactive, we're passive, we're waiting for, if, there's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, if there's no disease, if there's no problems, and yeah, I'm fine, I'm good for now, leave me alone. And it focused on um, waiting for a problem and then treating it with a simple Band-Aid solution, which is the typical way we think about healthcare. And so male 2.0 was my introduction to this concept of um, precision medicine, of using genetics to individualize care, to being proactive instead of reactive, to not waiting for disease to set in. 
to um, individualize your care, to go deeper than just testosterone. You know, quit thinking testosterone shots are the answer to your problems and understand why do you need testosterone? What's the underlying issue? And um, right. you know, addressing the physiologic processes like inflammation and, and um, oxidative stress and insulin resistance and you know, these other processes that, that guys tend to ignore. It's focusing on, um, on a deeper level of how we can optimize our health and um, taking a very different approach for men's health. Yeah, it sounds like a great book. It's definitely going to be on the Hanukkah list this year for all oh, four of my boys. <laughs> perfect. I love it. So tell listeners where they can find you. And if you have any free resources on your website that they can download yeah. to start integrating some of these practices today without even having to go yeah. see a doctor right now. Um, tell us all about that. Yeah, sure. So um, my center is called the Gapian Institute for High Performance Medicine. Um, the website uh, gapianinstitute.com. Um, I do have an offer um, for your listeners. I, I have a, a, a free copy of my Secrets to High Performance Health, which is a, a quick cheat sheet, a checklist that you can use to start implementing some of the stuff we talked about today. Um, the listeners can simply text the word health to 26786. Again, that's health to 26786. And they'll get a, a copy of um, my secrets to high performance health. They'll also get a complimentary copy of a digital copy of my book, Mel 2.0 um, that you brought up as well. And they'll get a link if they want to jump on a call with my team to see how we can help you. Um, you'll get that as well. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I will put all of this information into the show oh, notes. Perfect. It was such a pleasure to have an hour with you and talk about all of this uh, amazing stuff about men's health, because you know, men don't want to hear it so much from their wives or their moms. <laughs> they want to, you know, discover on their own and, and be held accountable on their own. So I think this sure. is all really valid, important information. So thank you once again. Absolutely. You bet. Thanks so I'll much. have to have you come back again and really deep dive on some of these um, protocols that we couldn't really get to. to. Yeah, that would be great. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.